one of the weirdest things ever was she was trying to do the major marathons, so Berlin, Boston, Chicago, New York, Tokyo, and London. And she sadly passed on the year she would have finished it. So I've decided to complete them in her memory. And I was doing the Chicago marathon with my mum-in-law and a friend, and we got a photo taken. And about six hours later, my best friend messaged me and he said, have you looked at the photo you've just put on Instagram? And I was like, no. And he was like, in the background, it says Marilyn. And my mum's name was Marilyn. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work podcast where company leaders and employees reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. This episode, my speaking with Pete Cooper, co-founder and CEO of running app Cooper, about how his undiagnosed OCD led him to a dark place after his mum passed away, how rediscovering his love for running helped him get out of it, and how the first lad down the pub could be the one struggling the most. This podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health support for the whole team. Hi, Peter. How are you? Hi, Mai. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm very good. I'm super happy to have you here in the podcast. Thank you so much for your time, for being willing to to be with us today. Thank you so, so much. And thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Could you just give it like five cents about you, your app, the motivation behind why you started creating this product? Yeah, hi everyone. My name is Pete. I am the CCO and co-founder of a running app called Cooper, spelled C-O-O-P-A-H. The reason why I started the running coaching app was because I found that there was a big gap in the market for personalized running coaching. I'm very passionate myself about making running accessible to everybody. But what I noticed in the running world was that actually running can be quite an elite sport. We talk about Nike Alpha Flies, we talk about the latest kit, and it's the same in the coaching world. If you want to have a personalized coach, it will cost you, say, €100 or £100 a month. However, the only other option is a downloadable PDF training plan, which isn't adaptable and it's static. So I wanted to make sure that everybody who ran was able to get access to the best training ability. And I believe strongly that running needs more tech in the game. You've got some great apps out there already for tracking and nutrition. However, when it came to run coaching, I was sure that we could use AI to create the world's best sports coach. And at Cooper, we're on a mission to inspire 10 million runners to transform their physical and mental health and become a better all-round runner. And I'll talk about why that mission is so important to me personally later. Thank you. And I heard that it's beyond just an app to motivate you to go out there. It's more like also community to bond, to connect. And you spoke about mental health. Can you tell us a little bit more about that side of the product? I love this question because this is the real reason why Cooper was born. So I myself have depression. I have anxiety. 
and I also have OCD. And I guess my depression first started after losing my mum to a heart attack. My mum was a fantastic runner. She was a Boston Marathon qualifier. She did duathlons for Great Britain. So an all-round inspiration for me. And after suffering from depression, I found the one thing that really saved my life was running. And therefore, I wanted to go away. I wanted to promote the power of running and really bring people together. So I was living in Hong Kong and I set up just a running group. It wasn't a running club because a running club means running times. It was just a running group where people from the community could come together, go for a steady 5K, 10K run and afterwards enjoy a social setting, whether that was having a beer, having a water, whatever that was, it was having this social setting, meeting new people and also knowing that myself and other people were always there if you wanted to chat maybe had a bad day maybe you were suffering yourself and it was just there as a way to demonstrate the power of running and that is why we have the two o's in our name of cooper because it's about the coming together so the coming together of the two o's is the coming together of community and now on the app we have a community section as well where People from all walks of life all over the world are able to chat and connect on the app and talk about running, but also talk about anything else they want to chat about. I love this concept because beyond the physical exercise, which is proven that it helps your mental health as well, there is a space for human interaction and human interaction, as you were mentioning, is so important for healing. So you mentioned that you currently suffer from depression, anxiety, and you were diagnosed with OCD. When, when were you diagnosed with OCD? I got diagnosed with all three at once. So when I went to the therapist mm. and got self-referred in 2016, I actually wanted to take my own life and I was planning to take my own life on the day my wife came to find me. Um, and she instantly referred me and I was diagnosed, yeah, with all three things in 2016. I think I always thought I had OCD, but I didn't want to admit it. Same with anxiety. But I think depression was something that was after the loss of my mum and also one of my best friends. What, what made you think that you had OCD? So from as long as I can remember, I always had to touch things three times. So it could be locking the door I had to check three times that I'd locked the door it could be touching my water glass three times after I'd taken a drink if I didn't do that three times I would have a thought in my head and a person in my head telling me something bad was going to happen so let's say I couldn't remember if I touched the door three times and checked it was locked three times and I went to school All day at school, I would be having this thought process that something bad was going to happen either to me or to my family. And this voice in my head saying, you're going to die or someone you love is going to die. And I think it was at that, at that point, I always knew I was different. I never spoke to anybody about it. And it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I actually spoke up about this when I had to seek medical help. Wow, it's very shocking to hear that you spend a lot of time just keeping this to yourself. It must have been very, very difficult. Yeah, it was super difficult. I'm 30 years old now. And I think that the whole mental health 
industry or, or world has changed. It's amazing how many people, podcasts like this is amazing. It means people are talking up. It means people are promoting the power of speaking out. And I honestly, I wish that I knew even just 10, 15 years ago that that was normal. There's such an amazing community out there as well in the mental health world. One of my best mates, he probably doesn't know I call him that, but he suffers from OCD as well. He's a big talker. So um, a big shout out to Ollie Newton at Run For Your Mind. I know that I can chat to Ollie about anything, anything strange or what people would think that's strange, but Ollie and I know is normal for us. It's amazing that I'm able to chat to this community and there are people out there who will listen and not think I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that you are seeing things moving forward and being more easier for people to talk about these things. What was your biggest fear that prevented you from speaking about this? I guess there wasn't actually a fear. I think I just thought I was a weird individual. I guess I didn't want to admit to anybody that I had to do these things. And I guess it got worse. It got a lot worse after I lost my mum to the heart attack. And I think that's when people started noticing it. And that's when people were saying, what are you doing? And I think then it was all noticeable what I was doing. So I guess for me, there was never a fear. It was more, I'm just on my own. There isn't even an answer to this. Um, I'm just this weird person who has bad thoughts in my head all the time. And once you spoke about this and you opened up, you had the opportunity to do it, you were saying with a therapist, was that your first time talking about it? I remember the room vividly. I remember getting there. I remember the walk. It's like one of the clearest memories I've got. And he said, before we go any further, you've a hundred percent got OCD. And now we're going to talk about everything else. And then at the end of the day, he said, you've got clinical anxiety and severe depression, and we need to closely watch and monitor you. And the depression didn't shock me, but I think the confirmation of the OCD and the anxiety, like, oh, wow, actually, I've been living for 24 years with an illness. And if only I knew earlier, maybe my life would be completely different. How did you feel? Most importantly, I felt extremely lucky that I was alive and talking to the therapist because I could have easily taken my own life. In fact, I was going to. So I felt extremely lucky because a lot of people don't get to that point. So this is why I talk out. But I guess I felt relieved that Yeah, I wasn't on my own. There was people who had these illnesses and you read about it in the news, you hear about it on the TV, but you never actually think that that's you. And I think once I really opened up and started to speak, it was like a mountain off of my shoulders. It was like all of a sudden I felt free and I just had a mental illness. And yeah, I guess just relieved is the best way to explain it. It was something that you suffer from but it doesn't define you as a person, must be very nice to hear, especially in that situation. And the feeling of being thankful about being able to have that call. You were saying that you were thinking about suiciding. And if I'm not mistaken, was your wife who found you or knew about it? Could you tell us a little bit more about that? 
I guess a little bit more about how I got to that point as well, to put it into context. In March 2016, I lost my mum to a heart attack. And then shortly after that, in August 2016, I lost one of my best friends. Um, my best friend's a twin, and it was his twin brother who passed. And we used to travel all over the world watching football together and going on holidays. And I'd run a marathon with both of them. And I think after the loss of my mum, I started drinking a lot, partying a lot, wanting to always be the first person to the pub and the last person to leave the pub. And I knew I was suffering. But I don't think I really cared. It was the way I managed with grief. But then I, I basically got up one morning and I was meant to be traveling over to Ukraine for a meeting. And I sat in the chair and I said, I can't do this life anymore. This is it. I'm not going to go to the airport. I can't go. And I said, if I do go, I'm going to jump in front of a tube. And then my wife, luckily, I didn't go because I think mentally I, I knew I didn't want to do it. And my wife came in and said, why haven't you gone? And I broke into tears. I, I completely broke down and I said, I can't go, I can't go. And that was when she said instantly, you, you need to see somebody. You can't keep living this life. On the outside, everyone thinks you're the happiest person alive, but I know that you're not. And that was when she said, Fortunately for me, she used to work at the same company as me. Um, she also worked in people operations, so she knew the right numbers to call, etc. And that was when she supported me, got me on the phone to the right phone lines. And the next day I was in with a therapist. It's so good that you had a great support, again, like human interaction, but also someone that could lead you to, to a good place, to a good professional. How was your, your experience expressing this to your partner back then? I think where I was very lucky is because a lot of people I speak to now, they self-refer, so, so they still maybe don't even tell their partners or their friends and they, they're, they're able to go in themselves, which is amazing. But I think on the flip side of it, I was so lucky that I could come home from therapy or, or even walk out of therapy and have my wife calling me and saying, how was it? What have they said? What do you need to do? What are your like action plans? What's the takeaway? And, you know, I think the fact that I had her to support me helped so much. It made me realize there was more to life. It made me want to come home. And I think that's always my recommendation is even if you've, if you're strapped to refer yourself, you still should have somebody for when you leave therapy or counseling, wherever you leave, you need to have somebody to, to be able to chat through with because you only get an hour of that day with someone and it's great to have a support network around you. How do you feel now realizing everything you went through before the diagnosed and then how the whole process of opening up and now where you are, how do you feel about all this maybe annoyed which might not be what you're expecting but i wish that i'd opened up earlier if i had got my ocd seen to when i was a kid or even a teenager i probably would have been able to have dealt with the grief of my mum and best friend better a lot of the time i blamed myself for my mum's loss But now I know it was my OCD and it, it, none of that was my fault. So I guess now looking back, I wish I could have spoke up earlier. But I do think looking back, I wouldn't have known where to have gone. I don't know what would have happened 15 years ago, say, if I'd 
self-referred myself. I think the world's come on so much further now. And in terms of speaking up about mental health is a lot more stronger. And that's why I'm so passionate about talking about it. A lot of my friends probably see me as a very laddie lad. And if you kind of look into the statistics, a lot of the time the people who do take their own lives are lads. They're maybe, you know, the football team captain or they're the first one down the pub. And that's why I try to speak about it so much because actually just because you have depression or just because you have thoughts of killing yourself, it doesn't mean you're not a lad. It probably means if you can talk about it, you're actually even more of a lad because you're able to go out and talk openly and say it's okay. And I think there's still definitely that stigma to mental health and I'm very much Mm. trying to change that. And I definitely, even now, I think when I talk about it, what if I lose friends? And now I'm strong enough to go, if I lose a friend because I talk about the fact that I wanted to take my own life, they're not a real friend. And I think that's kind of how I how I see it now. And I would say to anyone else who's struggling, you're better to have three very strong friends who want to talk to you and support you than having 30 friends who just want to get drunk with you. Did that happen? Did you lose any friend or person that you thought it was a friend because of speaking about this? I didn't lose any friends in terms of, you know, them not wanting to see me anymore. But I think I definitely lost friends through my own choice. I think I realized there was friends who I only would get drunk with. I wouldn't have a relationship with aside from alcohol. But most of my friends have actually messaged me and said, I'm so sorry that we were mates whilst you were struggling. And I just want you to know that if you're ever struggling again, I'm there. And some of these are my closest friends. Some of these are people who I've maybe only ever met five, ten times, but I knew them when I was struggling. And I think that is amazing. It's my anxiety and my anxiousness was saying, I'm going to have no friends. Whereas actually it was the opposite. I had loads of people reach out to me and say, I'm so sorry. I never knew. Thanks for sharing. You were saying that your wife reintroduced you to running. So tell us a little bit about that. How was your your experience? How did you find that? How how did it affect and it keeps affecting your mental state, your mental health? Yeah, so running is for me. And now I know through the community and through the app that running is a lifesaver for millions of people out there. But I guess if I go back to day one, I'd run a marathon, I'd run Berlin Marathon with my mum and I'd run Rotterdam Marathon with my mate Will. And I remember my wife saying, why don't you just go for a run? Just go for a run. You'll be connected to your mum. It's what she loved. Just go for a run. So, I mean, I was struggling to, at times, even leave the house. So for me to go for a run was going to be quite difficult. And I remember I left out my running clothes. I put them by the front door and I said, I can't step over these running clothes because if I step over these running clothes, I haven't succeeded in that day. So I set an alarm. I put my running clothes on. I didn't take my phone out. I didn't take any tracking apps. I didn't wear my running watch. 
I didn't take headphones. I just went for a run and I said, my aim is to just run. It doesn't matter if I run for two minutes, 10 minutes, 10 hours, I'm just going for a run. And it pretty quickly, I could f- hear and feel that I was surrounded by both my mum and Will. And I could sense that I was talking to them and connected to them. And I came back and my wife said, you're a different person. She was like, you need to run. And even now, let's say I'm Aggie because, you know, I do get angry. I still do have anxiety. I still do suffer from depression. And she can come home and tell if I've ran today or been on the bike or not. And I think for me, the big thing when it comes to running is when I go for a run and maybe I'm doing a hard tempo session or a hard interval session. And if people don't know what intervals is, it's when you try and push your body to the mats over shorter distances and you repeat them. That's when sometimes I can hear messages from my mum saying, you can do this, Pete, or I will shout to my mum and say, help me, mum. Um, And I think when I run, I always feel that connection, especially because, you know, more in my later years before she passed, running was something I'd always do with her. One of the weirdest things ever was she was trying to do the major marathons. So Berlin, Boston, Chicago, New York, Tokyo and London. And she sadly passed on the year she would have finished it. So I've decided to complete them in her memory. And I was doing Chicago Marathon with my mum-in-law and a friend. And we got a photo taken. And about six hours later, George, who's the twin of Will, so my best friend, messaged me. And he said, have you looked at the photo you've just put on Instagram? And I was like, no, why? it's just me and my my mum-in-law and my mate. And he was like... In the background, it says Marilyn, and my mum's name was Marilyn. And it literally, it was this photo of us in a Chicago pizza house. And in the background, it said Marilyn. And that's when I really started opening up. I don't know necessarily how much I believe in all of that world, but I know that my mum is definitely inside me or or with me when, when I'm running. And it's super powerful for me. And it's amazing. The more people I speak to about this, the more people have said they find the same thing. When they run, they feel like they're with a loved one who they've lost. It's so beautiful to hear that you found this kind of therapy for you and that it makes such a massive impact in your well-being. How, how do you physically feel when you run? I'm not going to lie, there's times when I run and I cry. I always go for a run on Christmas Day and my mum's birthday. And this year, or 2021, was the first year I went for a run on Christmas Day and didn't stop and cry for 10 minutes. And that, that I guess, I, I makes me feel that I'm getting somewhere where I, now I can constantly remember my mum in a positive light, I guess. But yeah, there's definitely times where emotionally I I can feel very upset but I think that helps me push through the race so if I'm feeling tired and I've got three miles to go emotionally I might feel drained but then that emotion will help me push through and I think physically it it makes me feel very physically proud because I'm like I'm able to do something that a lot of people can't do and to have that luxury of being able to run is such a benefit. There's a lot of people who can't run because they're maybe not fit and healthy or maybe they can't even afford running shoes. Um, And that's why with Cooper, we also have a give back campaign where everyone who signs up, we help somebody in need who needs to run because I, I, I would love to see everybody be able to run if they could. It's so beautiful to hear the contrast between 
you before your 20s, whether you were keeping everything to yourself and now how you are so open and you're saying, I go for a run and I cry, but in a way that it feels like you allow yourself with every single part of you, sadness, anger, happiness, everything. I did a talk about two weeks ago and someone came over to me and he said, thanks so much for that chat. One of the things I think I've realized is that every man has a feminine side to them and crying is completely fine. And he, he said openly, he said, I cried during your talk. And that was the first time I cried in, in, since I can remember. I just said, I'm glad this talk could make you feel like that. And that's something that stuck with me and that I'd never thought of. But yeah, actually, yeah, everybody cries and crying's great. <laughs> society dictates that men can't cry or it's not good to see them crying or it's not normal but it is more normal if they are angry right so behind that anger many times there is such a, a, a an amount of sadness and in terms of female it's like the opposite being sad is more normal or more you're allowed to cry as a girl but then expressing anger is not so good. So many times behind sadness in women, you can see a lot of anger, you know? So it's how we adapt to society as well. You're, you were saying, I still suffer from depression and anxiety, but at the same time, I hear you having this amazing product to help many people in their physical and mental state. How does this anxiety and depression affect you nowadays at work? One of the things I get asked a lot is being an entrepreneur, which I don't really like the word entrepreneur, starting your own business is <laughs> extremely is extremely stressful. And yes, it is. Mm -hmm. But I've always worked in sales. And I think sales is an extremely toxic and very tough atmosphere to work in if you're not hitting targets. And I think for me, it was, I'm always working really hard to make these rich shareholders richer. Whereas actually, in terms of having your own business, I'm able to set the scene. So, for example, you know, building a business is an absolute roller coaster. And I had a breakdown. And on the management team call, I said, I've just had a breakdown. Like, you know, my anxiety sky high. And it was amazing because I started this business with people who knew my story and knew why I wanted to start this project. They were like, you know, messaged me after they, they sent me, a few of them sent me a nice long message saying, you know, it's fine. The business will be fine. All of this. And, you know, the business will be fine. Um, but it's just lovely to be in a setting where because we set this example and our values are so strong about being transparent, being people first, I feel comfortable enough to say to my other co-founders, I've just had a breakdown or do you know what? I'm really struggling mentally today. I'm not going to be able to work much, but I'll make up for it. And it's kind of having that trust and having that openness. And I know my team's the same. My team knows that they can message me and say, Pete, I'm feeling a bit shit today. And I will just say, are you okay? Take your time, come back whenever you need to come back. And I think that's what's so important in the company is that building from the very start, that openness of, it's okay not to be okay. There's going to be tough days and it's how you handle it as a team to pick up the pieces when people are away and knowing that nobody wants the business to not do well and everyone's there to do, to do their best. It's like making sure that you have a solid 
foundation of trust and that you can bring your whole self to work and allowing yourself to express how you're feeling with the other people teams also because that encourages other people to do the same so how does that breakdown look like for you today i think i still struggle to tell people that i'm feeling overwhelmed we were talking about anger earlier and it's that sense of build up. So I think I still say yes to everything. I still try and do everything. I still say we can do this, we can do that. But at the back of my mind, I'm going, we can't do that, we can't do that. And then eventually I feel like I'm in a room and all the walls have come in and I can't see a way out of anything. So I try and do project A and I can't. I try and do project C, I can't. I try and do project Z, I can't. And then it can be something as small as my partner saying, do you want to go for lunch? And me just breaking down, crying and going, how am I going to go for lunch when I haven't been able to do this, do this, do that? And yeah, I think that's how the breakdown for me looks is that eventually everything just gets on top of me. I cry, mm. I might shout, I might say things I don't mean. The most annoying thing for me is I know it's coming and it's why can't I say it's coming and a lot of the time I can like don't get me wrong there, there, there could have been a lot more breakdowns but sometimes there is just times when I'm like I can't I've got to keep going and then I will break down. So I'm hearing that you're learning to differentiate your emotional state when this is building up and this is happening sometimes you can prevent from bursting and you can proactively cool down and like take some time for you and other times you're still not being able to do that and once it happens then you take action yeah definitely yeah that's that's exactly how mm -hmm. how it is so when you do realize what are the things that work for you in order to reset i run <laughs> definitely going mm -hmm. for a run helps because it just reset it gets a lot of the time when I have my breakdown, it will be that I haven't left the house all day. Like I've literally mm. not left the house and I've just been inside all day. That's a lot of the time when I have the breakdown. Um, I can feel it now. I haven't been outside all day. Um, I was super tired because I've just got back from Sierra Leone and I've got loads of work to do. I haven't been outside and I can feel it now, you know, emails coming in, Slack messages, and I can feel it burning. And I'm like, I just need to go outside for 30 minutes. And I guess what I do is it's go outside, try not to think about anything, maybe listen to a podcast or maybe just not even listen to anything. And then near the end of my walk, come in and go, okay, I'm going to spend 20 minutes replying to people and then I'm going to go back onto this project. Or actually it's fine not to reply to someone for two days. Like if it's real important, they can chase me. And it's then planning on the way back, how I'm going to go into their office or their house and really restart my work. So I think for me, it's it's being able to escape. And even if that's just a 10 minute walk, and then when I get back, being able to plan how I'm going to finish the day to succeed. You were saying before that you used to work in sales and how stressful and demanding that job is. How did that go with you and your anxiety? How were you coping with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I coped with it because... Although it's extremely stressful, one of the nice things about sales is you're still completely in control. So if your number is to sell one million pounds worth of, of sales, you're in control of that. Whereas if you're in a project, you're 
you're only in control of as much as you can be in control of. You've then got other stakeholders. And obviously in sales, you have the buyer as your stakeholder. But I think ultimately you're in charge of everything. So I think that's one of the things. And I think also just admin, having having the right, like for example, there's amazing tools out there, but I kind of know admin wise what works for me. And if I can see it just on a simple Excel spreadsheet, I can put everything into the software that the companies use and I can learn that. But for me, I'll always have my little Excel spreadsheet out because that's my planning mechanisms and that's how I can control my anxiety. So if I'm like, okay, I've not sold anything this quarter, but I know I'll still hit number because looking at my little Excel sheet, I can see that there's this deal to come in, this deal, I need to push this. Then I think that's how I, I control my anxiety. And I think I also realize there's more to life than hitting your number every quarter and making a lot of money. Two weeks ago, I was in the Lake District exhibiting Cooper, telling people about how amazing running is. And I looked around and there was mountains all around the world. And I was like, I've taken a big pay cut to do this, but I am the most happiest I've ever been. So I think for me, it's finding your own wealth and wealth isn't necessarily money. It's about being around people, people who inspire you, hearing about other people's lives and yeah, happiness is, is wealth. So I'm guessing now you're going for a run. Well, I have a meeting after this, but I'm definitely going to go for a run in an hour's time. <laughs> okay, I'm going to check on you. I'm going to send you a message in one hour and see if you win for it. So I'm on your accountability partner now. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, no, do, because otherwise I'll sit and do more work. So do, do send me a message in one hour and tell me to go for a run. I will. I will. Pete, thank you so much for your time. It was really, really nice talking to you. I think it's, it's really beautiful what you're doing. And thank you so much for opening up, for telling your story and for being so open about it. No, and thank you so much for inviting me on. And um, yeah, I love everything that you're all doing. So um, I think it's amazing. And the more, more we can do for mental health, the better. So thanks for having me on. This episode of Mental Health at Work was hosted by Maite Otero, produced by Billy Cragen, and brought to you by Oliva proper mental health support for the whole team. Thanks to Pete for confirming once and for all that the laddiest lads do cry. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work in all the usual places. And if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms, you can also leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.